As we continue worshiping together today, siblings, I invite you to turn first in your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of Numbers, the 21st chapter, beginning in the fourth verse. Let us receive together the word of God. From Mount Hor, they set out by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, but the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. Now let us continue with these words from the Gospel according to John, the third chapter, beginning in the 13th verse. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Will you pray with me? Rescue me, oh take me in your arms, rescue me, I want your tender charms, cause I'm lonely and I'm blue, and I need you and your love too, come on and rescue me. Amen. These lyrics, melody, written by the incomparable Aretha Franklin, are my prayer to God these days. Rescue me. Or in the old words of liturgy, O oh Lord, come to our assistance. O oh God, make haste to help us. Rescue us. The onslaught of tragedy and uncertainty and outrage and injustice and violence and overwhelming challenges of just getting through our days, all of this leaves me at least riding waves of powering through with just 
do it determination filled with whatever positivity and hope I can muster. And then descending into the ebb of exhaustion and discouragement and fear. Since March, I've characterized this time of multiple pandemics as a wilderness wandering that, like the Israelites, includes a big dose of not knowing how long we're going to be in this experience. We make plans with anticipation and then are led by the data to pivot toward an extended holding pattern. It's like being on a plane that keeps circling the airport and you're getting radio silence from the flight deck and you don't know how long it's going to be before that plane is going to land and you will get to solid ground and wherever it is you're trying to go. I hate that. Today we catch up with the Israelites during their long wilderness journey out of slavery in Egypt. For context, I'll remind us that they had barely finished singing their liberation song back in Exodus 15 when they begin to complain against Moses, breaking into a robust chorus of, we don't have what we need. And they pick up that refrain again and again and again, right up until this moment in our story today, in which, by the way, they're having to take a detour, which really sets them off, again, the circling. They complain not only against Moses, but this time they are coming for God. Their total frustration is clear in their sort of sputtered, mumbled outburst. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food and it tastes terrible too. And just when the Israelites thought things couldn't get more terrible, here come the deadly snakes. Now one scholar suggests that instead of the rather pedestrian poisonous serpents, a more accurate translation from the Hebrew is fiery, monster snakes. At this point, Israel as a people is not relating to God as a cozy God is my friend kind of deity. They saw what happened in Egypt. Their primary image is of a God who is free Yes, yes, to part the waters and get them out on dry land. But this is the same God who is free to throw a plaguey fit to get a point across and to get the job done. The Israelites seem to think that God took it personally when they laid their grievances at the divine door. And so assume that God brought one of those nasty plagues on them. 
course, then they repent of their complaining and they ask Moses to pray to God for relief. Moses does this and God's response is to tell Moses to make an image of a snake and put it on a pole. Everyone who is bitten and looks at that image will live. Wait. What? Wouldn't it be better to make the snakes go away or stop biting us instead of making an image of a snake to carry around on a pole? How could looking at the thing that's harmed you, the thing you're most afraid of, how could that be a source of healing. My annual spiritual retreat this year, I was pushed by God to consider what would happen to my faith in the face of my absolute worst case scenario. In other words, I was asked to look at what scares me most and to surrender even more deeply to faith in God's love and providence. Now you may imagine this was not fun. What do I fear most? In what do I really trust for my safety? To whom do I really look for affirmation and love? Where does my sense of value and purpose come from? And what if all that was taken away? Then what? What if someone I can't imagine losing dies? What if I die? Then what? Can I trust God on the other side of that? Would I? Now my specific worst case scenario might be different than yours and mine is more than I need to share. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but the reason that I bring it up is that our various worst case scenarios are a good place to think about what's going on in our story. What is the fiery monster snake in your life? That is, what is the thing that you fear could take your life, your physical life, your comfort, your control, your happiness, your power, your vocation, your reputation, your sense of meaning. If whatever or whomever you fear losing the most were to be lost, what then? Where is God for you in that scenario? What happens to your faith?
in the story, the people and we are not given a promise that the snake won't bite, that the pain will be averted, that the danger will disappear. But rather, we're asked to trust, to have faith that we can take on our terror, even after being deeply wounded. And that with God as our guide and healer, we will live. Perhaps with even greater freedom and courage for having faced our deep fear. The journey from captivity to liberation is never going to be without danger, without pain, without loss. But the promise is that a liberated life, freed from the bondage of fear and injustice and oppression, is worth whatever is encountered along the way to get it. The Israelites encountered a lot. <laughs> Think about it. The people have been putting up with each other on a long trip for a long time, out in the desert, eating weird food, drinking often iffy water, and second guessing why they ever listened to Moses in the first place. Part of the reason for the detour in today's story is that the Israelites were not granted asylum even to travel through Edom. And then after they had been diverted from that more direct route, they're subsequently attacked by another tribe in the desert. They're clear, clearly clinging to their last nerve. They've grown impatient, which is literally short of soul from the original language. They are short of soul, and they are really short of soul when the fiery monster snakes show up. It's a lot. It's kind of like hmm, the ongoing pandemic of Systemic racism and white supremacy being highlighted by a worldwide COVID-19 pandemic intensified by a climate crisis, a shameful and growing national wealth gap, a housing crisis, health care crisis, a not unreasonable fear of a presidential election being stolen and democracy being on the brink. And all of that without the support of childcare, or school, theater, concerts, sports, physically gathered worship, or for many of us, hugs. We are dealing with a lot. And some will balk at the idea that this is a time to trust even more in God's love and mercy 
Instead, they may want to fling their complaint against God and make a case for why a life of faith is just a waste of energy. That's been a widely taken stance for thousands of years, and I get it. But I don't recommend hanging out there for long. Because as wonderful and powerful and brave and kind and generous as humans can be, there is none of us who will be as steadfast, none of us who will be able to be as ever present, none who will put up with us and take all our stuff while still loving us and believing in us the way God does, has, and will continue to do. But some may still sputter, but, but the fiery monster snakes, God must be punishing us or testing us. Now, I'm not going to claim to know the mind of God. Our God is indeed a free agent, no matter how much we try to domesticate her. But you know what? I beg your pardon for just a moment, a little aside. Thought about not lingering on this point about people blaming God for the mess and the snakes. I, I just need to say, I have a couple of questions that come up for me about wanting to blame God for the snakes based on experience in the world. Here's one of my questions. We humans impinge on the habitats of creatures and expect them not to bite us. We invade and take other people's land and stuff that are surprised when they react. Hmm. Really? Another question, we, we create a habitat that not only allows but cultivates poison and violence and then we want to blame God? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna make it plain. 2020, this is what I think, 2020 is not just bad luck or some kind of divine punishment. It is the playing out of a widely and reliably predicted and interconnected set of disasters that advanced nations of the world might have mitigated or prevented, but chose not to. We were given a heads up. Over and over and over again. The prophets have gone unheeded. And here we are. Our ancestors in faith provide a reminder of how easy it is in the wilderness to forget all that God has given us. 
to ignore and to complain against the prophets who are seeking to lead us into a place of greater flourishing and freedom and health and promise. Our ancestors also remind us that God can and will and does put up with our need to complain sometimes. Perhaps the most important reminder is that God will not abandon us no matter what the scenario. God will bring us into a new place, a new life, on the other side of whatever the fiery monster snake tries to do to us. All we have to do is to stare down our fear, trusting in God, that God will be with us and will love us and will hold us and will strengthen us and will provide for us no matter what. In this world and into the next. When we find ourselves staring into our worst case scenario, perhaps crying in the shower or sitting and staring blankly out the window or at the computer screen. In these moments, we can join the voices of our ancestors who have cried out to God in need and in trust, singing, incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me, that's Psalm 31. How long, O oh Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages, from the life, from the lions. Rescue me from sinking in the mire. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Rescue me, O oh my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel. Rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. These are all the cries from the Psalms. Look on my misery and rescue me, for I do not forget your law. Rescue me from the cruel sword. And when we are short of soul, the queen of soul provides our psalm. Rescue me. Oh, take me in your arms, rescue me. I need your tender charms because I'm lonely and I'm blue. And I need you and your love too. Come on and rescue me. And God responds every time. saying as the psalmist writes, when they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. Eventually, when we'd forgotten, the teaching of the wilderness. When we'd made an idol, the fiery monster snake, God rescued us again and made it plain. God loves us. 
and loves the world so much. He doesn't send plagues upon us, but sends the most precious one, Jesus, beloved, who was lifted up to show us what we're capable of, the, the good and the bad of it, and to reveal once and for all that the font of every blessing of life, of healing, of liberation, and of hope is found not in any pastor or politician or president or teacher, not in the life or the status or the comfort or the control that we seek to protect out of fear. Rather, the font of every blessing is God's heart of outpouring love and grace and mercy. These gifts strengthen us to be brave, to risk, to give, to keep going, to do what we can, to be lifted up ourselves for the sake of others. Trusting that new life is on the other side. No matter what, thanks be to God. Amen.